School didn't teach us how to be good at love. So I created the Stubborn Love Podcast to help you navigate it. With my expertise in the marriage therapy biz, I'll share insights on topics like sex, money, and rock and roll. Um, I mean, navigating conflict and more. No matter what stage of relationship you're in right now, this podcast is for you. Every episode has actionable tips that will help you create a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life with the people you love. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now and join me on this journey of love and learning for the stuff they didn't teach you in relationship school. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Stubborn Love. This is our first show of 2023 and uh, we are kicking it off with a great one. So I know that we always talk about New Year's resolutions during the beginning of the year and um, I think this is a resolution that like should be a permanent one. So uh, our guest today, her name is Catherine Queering, and she is actually going to talk about how to trust yourself. And this is going to be uh, an amazing show. I think that we all struggle with trusting ourselves and or have self-doubt at times. And so I am super excited to have her here today to talk to you guys. So Catherine, can you introduce yourself and uh, tell the audience a little bit more about you? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Paige. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Catherine Queering, as Paige mentioned. I am a licensed mental health counselor and trauma therapist, and I am also a self-trust coach. Um, my passion and my focus is helping people learn to, one, have permission to, and then two, have the ability to come home to themselves, be able to trust themselves and belong to themselves. Mm, that phrase, like just coming home to themselves, like that even just had an impact on me physically, just hearing that. That sounds so safe, so warm, so comforting. Yes. And I know we'll get into this um, at some point, maybe not in today's episode, but about how that encapsulates a lot of what we're trying to find in relationships, right? And that we can even provide that safe space and be that attachment figure for ourselves, like with both the comfort and the um, the care that we give ourselves and also that we're a secure base for exploration and connection with others for ourselves. Yes. I love that you're even mentioning that because I work with my clients a lot through an attachment-based lens. And um, sometimes they don't have a secure partner or a secure base right. outside, you know, to, to be trusting of anyone. And I right. love that it kind of like has this empowering feeling for clients for them to realize, oh, shit, I can do this myself and I can feel yeah. so much better. Right. And that doesn't preclude connection with others. That actually frees you up to be safely connected with yourself first, and then you can safely connect with others. There's not the same kind of fear or withdrawal or whatever. Yeah. So you're giving us a two-in-one today of like, <laughs> you know, we trust ourselves, but that's automatically going to help us with creating right. safer connections with others. Oh. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, I want to get started in learning about your process. So how do we even start? Like what maybe uh, we can start with the framework or an outline if you have to give listeners and then we'll just go one by one more in depth talking about each one. Yeah, great. So I have this all encapsulated in my free masterclass about learning to trust yourself, which we'll put in the show notes. 
And there's three main movements that I've identified for learning to trust yourself. And the first one is just to be able to move to curiosity, right? And that we often start from this place of judgment and we have judgment about others. We have judgment towards ourselves. We have shame about judging, right? There's so much that goes into that, but we are often... I was going to say programmed. I don't know if it's exactly the right word, if that's pretty strong, but um, we live in a place that has so much judgment, right? We're conditioned. Yes, exactly. To judgment, right? With our bodies, with our relationships, with behaviors, with feelings, with everything, right? And if we can move from this spectrum of judgment to then like potentially evaluation, right? You're still evaluating it, but you don't have to put any kind of attachment, like a morality or value to what you're evaluating, right? You can still take it as information. um, And then you can hopefully move to curiosity, where then whatever you're seeing is information instead of something to judge. Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited to dive more into that. Even just thinking about morality, I automatically got connected with what you're trying to say. Like when we judge things, we put them into categories of like, that's good that's bad. There's no in between. (laughs) And we don't see things on a spectrum or anything like that. Okay. So I can't wait to learn more about that. Um, Briefly, what are the uh, other steps that we have? And then we'll go deep dive. Yeah, absolutely. So once you have space to have curiosity, then you can have curious about your emotions, your body um, cues and experiences, your thoughts as well. And you can befriend them. So instead of feeling judged by them or overwhelmed by them, you can actually treat them like a friend. You can have a relationship with your own feelings. And I can talk more about that and the framework I kind of have around that um, as well, if you'd like, once we get into that. And then the third one is once you've done those things, then you have space to access your inner knowing. So that might be your core self, your intuition, your internal compass, whatever you want to call that. I like automatically think of all of the people who show up in my office and when you get to this third part of like accessing your inner knowing the people who show up in my room are like I don't know who I am anymore right or I don't know what I like I don't know like anything about me so I am so super excited to dive into this and give our listeners such great guidance. So I guess we'll start at the the first part of becoming more curious. So like how how did this even come about? Like how did you figure out that like we need to get curious first and in order to like have this movement in trusting ourselves? Right. Well, I think a lot of um, clinical psychology training moves us to this. And emotional intelligence and emotional awareness kind of work. The biggest thing that clued me in, though, was um, the modality, the internal family systems, which is just the most life-changing therapeutic modality and really kind of a philosophy of life that I've encountered um, because it helps you understand and take care of yourself and have yourself as a resource in a way that I've never seen anything else. Um, Every other even therapeutic modality I've seen, you're dependent on the therapist or you're dependent on someone else to help you make a change. And then you're worried if that change is going to stick unless you have their support, right? Where with IFS, we're moving to this core self, which is part of your inner knowing. And that, that core part of you that everyone has naturally has curiosity. 
And that curiosity is part of what enables us to then have compassion for ourselves and clarity and connection Mm -hmm. and these other qualities that we have innately in ourselves that get covered up by trauma and other parts of us that are trying to protect us. Yes. So the curiosity is kind of the gateway. Yeah. I like what's coming to mind is developmentally when we think of children like infants, they are so curious about the world because they don't know what the heck is going on. They can't really communicate that well to people around them. And so they're curious. They're trying all kinds of things. They're putting things in their mouth. And like as an adult, I think again, going back to that word being conditioned with society and all kinds of stuff, we are conditioned to just like fall in a certain line and not have that exploratory type of mindset anymore. I don't know if that's landing. Oh, absolutely. Right. And that's part of why, like I have a framework that talks about trusting yourself again is because I think we naturally, unless we're born into very, very traumatic, toxic environments, have enough space as young kids to have this experience of curiosity and freedom to just be and being in our bodies and being in the present. And then we spend our whole lives trying to get back to that, right? Because we're conditioned then to judge ourselves and be harsh to ourselves and that kind of thing, right? I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about little kids when they're learning to walk or they're learning how to do things, they're not usually upset at themselves that they fail, right? They just are like, oh, that's funny, right? And they get back up and they keep doing it. There, there is yeah. absolutely no sense of failure. It is just exploration. Oh, my God. Like, you're blowing my mind right now. So, like, if we took that curiosity of instead looking at these things that we try and, quote, don't get success out of, like, instead of looking at it as failure, looking at it as, oh, okay, well, that didn't work. Let me try again or try something else. Like that would eliminate so much negativity and so much, oh my gosh. Right. And maybe even treating everyone like yeah, with the same kind of consideration and care and compassion that we give little kids, right? Because at some age that yes. starts to change. You know, even I have a, a child in um, preschool and she's already like worried about things not being perfect. And, you know, that's so hard to see. She's only five. And, um, you know, that that does start pretty early, right? As soon as there's evaluation there, right? Um, As soon as there's, you have to do it this well to get a reward or something like that, right? Or to get the accolades or get whatever. Um, But before that, it's just enjoyment, right? It's just, I do this because I like to do it. I do this because I don't want to do it. I do this because I want to be able to hang out with my older sibling or like play with my parents or whatever that is, right? Yeah. Being along for the journey rather than like being worried about the destination. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering like when we're moving towards um, curiosity, so like you talked a little bit earlier about like how um, we have judgment and then we make evaluations. Where in our mind do you think like we get um, evaluations from? Like, is it from our inner self or like, how does this even come about when we evaluate something? So I'm going to go ahead and mention parts. That is one of the um, parts of the framework of internal family system is that we are not this monolithic mind and experience that we have multiple different parts in us giving us different information and experiencing things differently. 
And they might actually be different ages too. So we often have really childlike parts that can access these um, exploratory, non-judgmental kind of ways of being. And then there's other parts of us that are trying to protect us, usually from outside harm or trying to help prevent pain or help us assimilate and fit in that are giving us some of these messages. So they don't usually originate with us. They usually come from outside, but then we have parts of us that internalize them and keep repeating it to ourselves to protect us from outside criticism, right? So if I criticize myself first, or if I know to watch this and be hypervigilant about it even, right? Like a trauma response that then I won't be caught unawares of somebody else criticizing me or looking stupid or being embarrassed or whatever that is that doesn't feel good. I, he- I hear that a lot of like people not wanting to look like a fool, not wanting to right. look stupid. And they're doing all of this, like, I guess what you call preparation for mm-hmm. the like fight. Right. And th- that hypervigilance like is very stressful on the body. And so like, what what do you usually see like as as a result of that? Like when they're in that state and they're hypervigilant and they're evaluating themselves, they're being judgmental towards themselves. Like what what happens when you see that with clients? Um, well, I can go into how that shows up or I can go into like how we help heal from that, whichever one you would like. Let's go with how it shows up and then let's heal it. Okay. So it, it often shows up as internal critics. So there's a whole bunch of different types of critics that we can have that are like perfectionists, ones that are pushing us all the time to do better, ones that are um, being very critical and saying we're stupid or we're never going to do well enough, ones that are like never try anything because you might fail. So there's a whole bunch of different type of critics, right? So that's a part of how that shows up. If you want, we can jump into the Enneagram at some point too. I think we each have different critics based on our personalities and maybe like Enneagram types, as well as what we're conditioned to and the environments we're in, right? That we are, there's certain ways that we try to protect ourselves and cope with things that there, some people have certain types of dental critics and some people might have different kind of like shutdown behaviors or get under the radar as a different kind or that kind of thing. But I see a lot of internal critics. I was thinking like there might be other ways that that shows up, like our bodies being in a freeze state or having lots of physical ailments that we don't know um, where it came from, that our body is just trying to find so many ways to express and hold that stress for us. Yes. Yeah. So you're not only dealing with that internal turmoil of, you know, that negative voice in your head. It can also show up physically in your body. You could get sick. You can just like not sleep very well, like all kinds of things. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go into that healing part now then. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is being able to befriend your emotions and your experiences, um, which is the second step in my process. And, you know, I think many people may have already heard this kind of recommendation of what would it be like if you talk to yourself, like you talk to a friend right? That we, we tend to be pretty understanding and compassionate towards friends. And it is a lot harder for us to do that for ourselves. And so what if we could give ourselves that space, right? With each of these parts of us, even the ones that can seem kind of harsh, like the, a critic, right? We can actually even befriend a part of us that's critical, as well as a part of us that's hurting. 
Yeah. So how do you do that? The, the first step is curiosity. <laughs> and then um, under separating the motives of that part of you from the impact, right? So the intention versus the impact, the part of you that's criticizing you is doing it because it doesn't want you to be hurt. Every single part of yourself wants good for you. And so it might be doing it in a way that is really hurtful, right? But the ultimate goal is that part sees no other way to protect you, even if it has to hurt you to do it. Wow. So once that part feels like you're there and you understand, and you might even reach a point of like, I'm grateful for that protection, even if I don't like it, then you can help that part see that there are more choices and it doesn't have to do that job alone anymore. That actually like your highest wisest self, your core self can do that more effectively because you can be an adult in that situation. You can have compassion in that situation. You have more choices in that situation. And that part of you that is criticizing can help you with that. It can still have a really important job in your system, but it doesn't have to be critical in order to motivate you or protect you or help you succeed or whatever that is. It could actually be a positive coach instead. That's contributing to the team instead of pulling you down. Oof. Yeah. I the like uh one thing that's landing big for me when you were talking about having um these parts of you are protecting you and giving you like it has good intent but that negative impact like I'm automatically thinking of like substance abuse like when people numb out with drugs and alcohol yeah it's to protect usually like that that hurt part of themselves that they're struggling with absolutely so usually what we see is there's two different types of protectors they're called managers and they're called firefighters in their most extreme state they're the ones that are called firefighters, it's because they don't care how much damage they do in the moment. They just want to take away the pain, right? So kind of like your house is on fire, right? You're feeling a lot and the firefighter comes in to get rid of the flames. It doesn't matter if your couch is destroyed. It doesn't matter if your oven doesn't work again, right? And your literal house, the flames are gone and you can rebuild, right? So the firefighters come in when they don't feel like there's any other choice. And they can come in pretty strong like that, right? Like once you reach the point of addiction, it can feel really overpowering and really strong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But those parts of you still want good for you. They are terrified of you feeling that pain that is going to overwhelm you. And so they, they come in any way they can to help you avoid that. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I'm getting chills thinking of it like in this way. And like what comes to mind is... Like there's there's been a lot of talk in media and pop culture lately about like toxic people. And I'm thinking uh, about like how hurt they are to really damage relationships so quickly and so um, like like d destroying like huge impact. Oh, yeah. Hurt people hurt people. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. OK, so. um we can be curious about the emotion um, and we can befriend it. Um, what happens after we're being all nice and friendly to our emotions? Then we get to like reclaim them as a wonderful part of our like inner village basically. And we can then have that part of us trust us, right? So the more parts of us that we help heal and befriend, the more 
we have parts inside of us that are trusting us and working as a team and trust each other and can work together. So we're not sabotaging ourselves all the time, right? We're not like, oh, well, I should do this, but then this part of me hates it and going back and forth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're all wanting the same thing and they're now all kind of like in agreement for doing it the healthier way for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. So then Um, you have more choices, right? You can come up with a solution that makes everybody happy. Yes. Yeah. I can see this applying to like so many different things. Um, This is really exciting. So um, at this point, like, I'm kind of wondering, like, if um, people are trying to go through this process of trusting themselves and do all these steps, like, how long before they get to, like, see results or how long does it take to trust ourselves? Like, what's what's the scoop, Catherine? (laughs) It really varies. You know, sometimes we hit on really big parts of us that um, once those parts have been kind of healed and can trust a little bit more, we feel a huge relief and a huge difference, right? So sometimes like you can feel that huge difference and sometimes it's just like tiny little bits where you start noticing, oh, instead of feeling anxious there, I felt okay, right? And you kind of keep checking that, right? Or instead of being... Um, harsh with myself there, I was like, okay, I was okay with myself, right? Like, so sometimes it's these tiny little things that we just start noticing. And and it takes us a little while to get used to that, right? Because it's different. And sometimes it's this huge relief. Like, when we access our core knowing in our inner selves, it can feel like an experience of enlightenment. It can feel like, oh my gosh, I have this connection with myself that I didn't have before. And you will always have that, um, but it can get clouded by other burdened parts that are like jumping in to protect you from something else or another trigger, but then you just help heal those parts and you know it's always there. So there might be more parts to heal, but at some point that starts feeling lighter and lighter and there are more and more parts trusting you. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, just peeling back the onion, getting to that core, and you might have a lot of layers to get to in order to like be fully trusting in yourself. Right. And the idea is really more that you have more access to that core part of you, that intuition, the highest wisest self, that inner knowing, and that part of you can help lead and give care to the other parts. So even if they are not ready to heal completely, you have that compassion in your system and you have access to that. Right. And that feels really different. Mm-hmm. How um, would that kind of like show up? Like how would someone know like when that is happening? Um, they access any of these um, C characteristics that I've mentioned of our core selves. So anytime you have space for some clarity, compassion, curiosity, creativity, connectedness, choice, Um, And I always forget a couple of them. (laughs) There's a couple more. Um, That is how you know. Playfulness is another one um, that you you have access to that core self. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So um, I took your master class and everybody listening should also take it um, because it's really fantastic and you get some really good information in there. Um, 
there was this really cool exercise that you had me do as I was watching you. And I was wondering if you could share with listeners right now, like while we're live together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let me know if there's a part of it that I miss. But what I think is really cool about starting to learn to listen to yourself is you can start to even say like, can I have space to see what I like or don't like? That to me is a really fundamental thing about listening to your inner voice um, as opposed to what I should like or what this other person wants me to like or what would be easiest in this situation, right? That like, can I give myself some space to say, I like this, I don't like this. And just these tiny little um, feelings or movements or intuitions, sensations inside that can let you know one or the other, that is starting to get to know your inner voice and your inner compass. Um, and that will show up in your body. And then you have a sense of, oh, I'm spinning in my head about this, or I have this in really deep internal sense of, yes, I like this or I don't like this. This is good for me or it's not good for me. So one really simple thing is most of us have a food that we like and something we don't like, right? So if you can think about like, what is your favorite food? If you could pick that out and be like, this is what I'm going to have for my next meal. Can you envision it? Can you almost taste it? Can you remember a time that you ate it? What does that feel like in your body? You say, oh, I know I like this. Mm-hmm. It's that truffle mac and cheese. Ooh, oh, yeah. Dessert too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Right? And then shift good. to good. Right. And having that experience of I can know that that feels good and I can enjoy that for myself. Yes. Um, and yeah. what is it like to experience I don't like this? Right. Um, with food, mm. that might be pretty easy. Um, for me, it's liver. Ugh. <gasps> I thought of <laughs> liver too. We did not plan this. That is so no. funny. I've been overseas and I've tried all sorts of things. And like, like cow heart was fine. Guinea pig is fine. But like liver, it was just, no, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the taste. Oh, that is so oh. funny. Okay. So liver. Ugh, it doesn't feel good for me. And I, right? when I did this exercise live, I felt like my body like shift into this like disappointed emotion and like kind of like defeated physical um, body language. It was really interesting noticing the difference. Yeah. Was there almost a like, well, I have to eat it? Like, I don't yes. have any choice here, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, well, I should like this, or I should just eat it or, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of our internal critics is the should and ought language and a really um, subtle shift that can help ease that part and lighten that part up is shifting to anytime you hear yourself say should or mut or ought to um, shift it to like, it would be good for me to do this. I would like to do this. Right. And then you can shift into, do I like this or do I not like this? Even if I don't like it, it still might be beneficial to me. Right. I don't want to finish my work right now, but then I can go home early or whatever that is. Or no, it really is important for me to take a break and then I can finish my work or whatever that is. Right. That you have space to have more choices there. Hmm. I love that because when it feels like we're using all that should or ought must language, it doesn't feel like there is a choice at all. It's like, all right, I guess I got to do this and it sucks. But like, this is way more empowering the way that you're explaining it. Right. And then you're going to have that part of you the whole time. that's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. Right. Instead of 
Yeah, I can do this. This is good. Oh, this right. is so cool. Okay. Can I, I want, I want to add another layer to that, if that's okay, if we have time. So I was thinking about this in terms of relationships and interactions of that might be another step of this, right? Of like, oh, I like it when somebody says this to me. I like it when somebody treats me this way. And do you feel that in your body? What does that feel like? Versus, ooh, I don't like that. They say they were just joking, but that did not feel good, right? So can I then speak up about that? Or can I decide this person isn't someone I want to spend a lot of time with? Wow. Right? That we can start wow. feeling those same things. And it doesn't matter what the other person's intentions were. It doesn't matter. Like it matters how it landed to you. Right. It doesn't matter if it's reasonable or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like we get to decide what's reasonable to us. It's all about our perception, our beliefs, our values. And that can feel really audacious. Yeah. Cause like it's like, who me? I'm allowed to have all these thoughts and beliefs and live by them? Me? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I like this extra layer and I'm really glad you said it because I think that shows up a lot in romantic relationships where um, they become very unhealthy. There's um, maybe passive aggressiveness and even going into like verbal abuse. And maybe the person who's on the receiving end of that is like, well, I don't like this, but I should stick it out. Or my parents were divorced, so I don't want to get divorced or like whatever the other right excuses for them. Oh, they're just yeah. in a bad mood. Right. Yeah. I need to be supported. Yeah. Or they had a rough childhood. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. And it may not be safe to be assertive about it with that person. Right. But you can start to notice that for yourself and then you have choices about how you want to address it. Right. Find safety. Okay. Very cool. So uh, are there any other, um, I guess, tidbits that you want uh, listeners to know about this framework that you've shared today? I know that we plan on having more future episodes, uh, but anything else related to the self-trusting uh, framework that you presented today? I'm just going to comment that this works for so many things that we've gone through that lead us to not trust ourselves. So that's often emotionally mature parents, toxic relationships, narcissistic abuse. Um, and what I've been focusing on a lot lately is religious trauma um, and how religious systems and beliefs and messages create this kind of dynamic within ourselves where it's not safe to listen to ourselves and trust ourselves. And so I've been developing a framework of healing around that. And I have a group to walk through that and just wanted to mention that you and to your listeners, if that would be helpful to them as well. So you have this group program like specifically curated for people who have suffered within like that kind of community within the church. And I see that all the time, especially in my clients, uh, because I work a lot in the non-monogamy community. And so many of them have been raised in a really strict religious background that have made them feel just like awful and lost a lot of self-worth. Right. Um, be, because they think they're, they're a bad person for just wanting to do things differently than whatever tradition they grew up with. 
So right. I think this group is going to be so impactful for so many people. Is there, uh, could you maybe talk a little bit about the, the group? Yeah, absolutely. So this, the coming group that I have is starting on February 2nd. It's six weeks online, 90 minute sessions that will be together as a group. And then there'll be readings and um, support in between where we can chat with each other and um, everyone gets an on one-on-one onboarding call and a one-on-one session as well during the group time. Um, and we're going to kind of walk through a similar kind of structure and layers of healing from religious trauma. You know, what were the messages that caused the harm and how can we listen to ourselves and reclaim the parts of us that got lost? And then emerge grounded and whole and trusting ourselves. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. And there's just, it, we can talk about this more in another episode if you want. But yeah, there's just so many layers of like, there's the dualistic thinking, right? Of like, you you are only supposed to use your head and not live in your body or your emotions. Any sort of desires or anything coming out of your body are suspect and are evil and sinful. And then you're taught to dissociate from yourself and your body and only trust the authority there. I mean, there's just so many layers of how we're taught not to trust ourselves. Um, And so reclaiming that is just such a like healing, joyful, wonderful process. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that's three episodes right there that you just (laughs) basically named for the future. So I'm really excited to dive more into this as um, it's so applicable to I think really 100% of the population has struggled with this at some point, I'm sure. Right, right. Okay, well, I think we will wrap it up here. And um, I will have all of the uh, important links to be able to sign up for both uh, Catherine's group program that you can be a part of that she just mentioned, and just signing up for the masterclass, getting... um, the video and workbook with learning how to trust yourself that goes in uh, depth like we did today on this episode. Any last things that you want to mention to our listeners? I don't think so. It's just been such a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. All right, everybody take care. Hope you're having a good day and we'll catch you on the next one.